This is Coast to Coast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys. One from each coast, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Well, welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today from our show, Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. And I'm Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. Well, Bob, last week we had a show on the New Jersey Vioxx trial, which apparently is in its fifth week of trial. Do you want to do the update on where we are on that? Well, uh, according to a news report, I saw Merck uh, executives privately discussed adding a compound of Vioxx to make the painkiller protect the heart the way aspirin does, uh, a company researcher had said in the, in the trial on Monday. We're five weeks into the trial over whether this uh, now-withdrawn drug caused a man's heart attack. Uh, and uh, you can catch uh, the show that we did last week at LegalTalkNetwork.com and hear the, uh, hear the broadcast that we did about that. Well, today we're going to be exploring the new bankruptcy law and the rush of Americans who tried to beat the deadline this week before the law changed. The Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act of 2005, uh, I'd like to know who gave it that name, uh, took effect yesterday, October 17th. Uh, A number of uh, debtors rushed to file for bankruptcy before Monday when the new law uh, took effect. Uh, it, uh, the law is described, said to make it more complex and more costly to uh, gain bankruptcy protection for certain creditors. Well, there was a quote in the Daily Journal out here in California that said it should have been called the Consumer Abuse Act and Credit Card Company uh, Protection Act. But today we're going to be getting advice and insight from our guests who are experts in the new bankruptcy law, the changes in the law that have been called the most significant in nearly 25 years. That's right. We'd like to introduce our guests. Our first guest today is uh, Henry J. Summer. Uh, Henry is editor-in-chief of the uh, esteemed uh, publication Collier on Bankruptcy and a leading authority on consumer bankruptcy law. He's a supervising attorney at the Pro Bono Consumer Bankruptcy Assistance Project in Philadelphia and formerly served as head of the Consumer Law Project at Community Legal Services in Philadelphia. Uh, he is a partner with Miller, Frank, and Miller in Philadelphia and uh, is uh, author of Collier Consumer Bankruptcy Practice Guide, the Consumer Bankruptcy Law and Practice, published by the National Consumer Law Center, Consumer Bankruptcy, published by Wiley, and numerous articles on bankruptcy law. He's also co-author of Collier Family Law and the Bankruptcy Code, published by Matthew Bender, and an editor of Collier Bankruptcy Manual. Uh, welcome to the show, Henry. Thank you. And we'd also like to welcome R. Gibson Pactor Jr., who I, we most of us here in Southern California know as Gib. He's a bankruptcy lawyer from the firm of Pactor and Miller out of Santa Ana, California. And Gib represents and advises parties in bankruptcy cases, litigation, and appeals, and gives us opinions on bankruptcy issues, primarily in California, but I also understand he works in Arizona and Utah. His work includes appellate work for here in the Central District in California, uh, the Bankruptcy Appellate Panel, and the Ninth Circuit, as well as the Supreme Court. Thanks for joining us, Gib. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, Henry, let's start with you. Um, What's your perspective on the major difference in this new law? Well, 
hard to narrow it down to one major difference, but uh, they're you know the over overriding effect of it will be to make bankruptcy much more complex, expensive, and difficult for pretty much everyone who files, uh, not just those who are allegedly abusing the bankruptcy laws, but every single person. Uh, and uh, there are just numerous provisions that will make Chapter 13 much harder, that will make Chapter 7 much more difficult and expensive, that will uh, set up hurdles like credit counseling and credit education, additional paperwork, uh, and then the relief that people get will also be somewhat less effective in many cases. They will not eliminate as many debts, and they will have to pay more to keep property like cars in, in a lot of cases. Well, we read that... Uh nearly 103,000 Americans filed for bankruptcy in the week that ended Friday. Uh, uh, that came, those statistics came from Lindquist Consulting Company of Burlingame, California. Gib, may I call you Gib? Is that correct? Please. Yeah. Uh, what, what's happened in your practice? Can you give us some perspective on what's been happening uh, out there? Sure. Uh, in the last two weeks, my office, which is two and two-thirds lawyers, filed 42 consumer cases. We normally file 42 cases over two to three months. And I had people calling night and day for the past three weeks. Uh, By the middle of last week, I turned away people. I couldn't handle any more filings because the electronic filing system in the Central District had already become so clogged it was taking up to four hours to simply e-file a new case. Uh, since the filing, and my last call I think was Saturday night at 5 p.m. Someone had the temerity to call and ask if I were open and if I would see them to file a case on Sunday in Los Angeles. I wasn't here to do that. But since then I have had zero new calls from consumers and one new call from a commercial debtor who wasn't really going to be affected by the old law or the new law either way. So now you're just going to take a couple of weeks off. I am taking a breather after working <laughs> 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. mostly uh, every day for the past two weeks. I can actually relax now, but I have to catch up on a lot of um, filings because by the end we had to file what's called the emergency just to get in the door to beat the new deadline, and that allows 15 days for the filing of the balance of paperwork. Well, Gib, in addition to four-hour uh, confirming times for the electronic filing, how did the physical lines turn out at the uh, court? Uh, I had one person who actually had to file. We had to file an involuntary Chapter 7 case in a commercial context. It wasn't related to the new law, old law, but the e-filing system wouldn't allow it to be filed. That person stood in line with the other debtors who were beating the rush in Santa Ana, from noon on Thursday until midnight. <laughs> they didn't leave the courthouse until 12.15 p.m. Uh, I understand the lines were at least six to eight hours, up to ten hours, because of the new computer system the court chose to, in, to implement. They would have to physically scan each document as it was being filed. Uh, Henry Summer, it seems that, from what I've read, the... the major brunt of this law falls on consumers who would be who would have been seeking to uh, liquidate their debts and, and may now have to go into a, 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 a chapter 
13 plan for paying off their debts. Uh, is that your perspective on it? Can you, can uh, not really. I mean, the, the major brunt of it is going to fall on every consumer just about who files. Uh, the means test, which has sort of received a lot of the attention, will require a lot of paperwork from consumers, but my prediction is that only about 1% of the uh, Chapter 7 debtors will have a serious problem with it. And those people are largely the people that already have a serious problem filing Chapter 7 under the current law. So uh, I don't think that's the, the main problem. I predict the number of Chapter 13 cases will go down substantially because, uh, number one, it was made much more difficult, and number two, the prior law had incentives for people to go into Chapter 13, and many of those incentives have been removed. So if you don't see that as the major problem, do you see a major problem in this law? Is there something about this law that... Yeah, that I think the concern? major problem is that it's going to make bankruptcy much more difficult and expensive. There are a lot of people who can can barely afford to, to pay the, what it costs now, and those people aren't going to be able to file, at least with an attorney, because they're not going to be able to afford it. I mean, there are people now who under the prior law who couldn't afford it, and there just will be more people who can't afford to file bankruptcy. So the brunt of this law, I think, is going to uh, hit hit the lower-income lower people who can't get access to an attorney. Well, Gib, there appears to be some issues regarding the sanctions that could be handed down to attorneys. So you have any, ex- any experience or any knowledge about what's going to be happening there? Well, I think the press on the subject was designed to do what the law itself is to do, and that's to keep people from filing bankruptcy, punish the lower and middle class, and if they can do so by scaring lawyers out of the practice, so much the better. Uh, On reading it and having had the benefit of attending a seminar where Henry was one of the speakers recently on the new law, um, I read it very closely, and there is a section which is designed to sanction lawyers to enable bankruptcy trustees to seek monetary sanctions from lawyers who sign or assist debtors in filing false documents. I think the law is nothing new. We already had Bankruptcy Rule 9011, which authorizes a court to sanction a lawyer who signs false papers or misrepresents things to a court. But I think it is just another impediment to uh, allowing debtors with little money to hire lawyers to help them file a bankruptcy case. Well, you've also got Rule 11, right? We always, rule rule 11 is, is incorporated into the bankruptcy practice by Bankruptcy Rule 9011. It's basically the same rule. Yes. And this new law is just another way to scare people out of filing bankruptcy. Does the law change uh, anything uh, on on the part of the creditors, or are all the uh, changes with respect to the requirements placed on debtors? There are a few very, very superficial changes that will have very little effect on creditors. Uh, uh, there, you know, there is, is not quite nothing, but there is very little that will add anything to creditors' responsibilities, and there are many uh, provisions that are designed to give creditors greater advantages. Uh, I'll agree with that last statement. In particular, there were a lot of changes made to assist parties in divorces who end up with debts, whether they are property settlement, uh, support, or anything else. 
they were pushed up in the food chain of those entitled to be paid in a bankruptcy case and basically moved ahead of the tax authorities. There were a lot of provisions to help tax authorities collect taxes. There, um, and these changes came about by adding a new type of debt, which is held not to be discharged by a bankruptcy in a Chapter 7. So any divorce debt, basically, is now not dischargeable in Chapter 7. That'll survive. There was a lot of litigation uh, over whether a debt was support or not, whether it was called support or something else. In Chapter 7, people could actually escape some of their debts without destroying their ex-spouse. And that was a huge change in favor of creditors, a whole body of creditors, who knows how many thousands or millions of creditors in that context. There were also other changes, big changes in Chapter 13. The discharge used to be called the super discharge, and I don't know what we'll call it now, but they used to be able to have a debtor pledge as much income as possible over three to five years and pay between zero and 100 X percent to creditors and possibly wipe out or discharge some bad debts, debts for fraud or willful injury to people. And now Chapter 13 discharge has been watered down, and those kinds of debts will no longer be discharged. So that's one of the incentives that was in Chapter 13 is now taken away. Well, I mean, it, it's in looking at this law, and I'm, I'm certainly no bankruptcy expert, but but just uh, as somebody who who knows a little bit about uh, how <laughs> what happens with credit cards, it, it strikes me that this law is only uh, tackling at, at best half the problem with with bankruptcies in this country, if it's even doing that. I mean, it, it is, isn't a major problem with major cause of bankruptcy is is high. Consumer interest rates and, and uh, you know overextension of, of, of credit card debt. And is, is, there, is, the, is Congress doing anything to look at that uh, and, and explore that problem? Congress is really not doing anything uh, to deal with that for the simple reason that the majority in Congress is very sympathetic to the banking industry and believes the banking industry when the banking industry and other creditors say that the everything they're doing is completely appropriate and, in fact, beneficial to consumers. Uh, I agree with you that there, there is a big problem with not only the incredibly easy availability of credit, especially to lower-income people and college students with no income and people that never used to be able to get credit, uh, but in addition, all of the, uh, the hidden tricks and traps that, for, for example, Consumer Reports wrote about recently, where your interest rate can be raised if your credit score drops. Even if you're making every payment on time to a credit card company, they've reserved the right and exercised the right to raise your interest rate to well over 20% because you might have made a payment late to somebody else or just gotten another credit card. So uh, there are a lot of problems in the whole consumer credit industry, but Congress is not doing anything to address them. Well, Henry, isn't it true that there was a recent change requiring credit card companies to collect at least 4% of a balance? Right. There was a change that was imposed by the controller of the currency on the uh, credit card companies, uh, in part, I think, because of a, a question of their safety and soundness, that they were requiring so little to be paid, and in part to help consumers because the average amortization on a lot of these credit cards was well over 30 years, and people would be paying six times what they owed. 
to pay back a credit card at the very low minimum payments that were being required. And I, for one, think that's going to itself trigger more bankruptcies. Well, that is, plus rising interest rates, because sure. uh, many, many people have variable rate debt now. Do either of you see anything in this law that you really like? Uh, there are one or two provisions that I consider to be good things in the law. <laughs> one is that it provides greater protection for retirement savings and education savings. Uh, they varied from state to state, uh, but virtually all of them are now protected from creditors. Uh, and you're also allowed to continue repaying your loans to 401Ks and things like that. Uh, the second thing which affects the poor people who I represent often is that the Chapter 7 filing fee can be waived by the court for someone who can't afford to pay it. Does a law have any adverse effect or does it spread the pain around to anyone other than low-income people? Oh, oh yes. I mean, it, it, it will affect, as I said, everyone who files a consumer bankruptcy case. Uh, it's just that you know the average income of most people who file is in the 20000 range. Uh, but it will affect everyone. It will require them, to, as I said, many people to pay back more to keep their cars. Uh, we'll make Chapter 13 cases to keep your home more difficult and more expensive, and that's going to be across the whole income range. Do you think it's gotten to the point that it's no longer worthwhile to file bankruptcy and it's better just to simply try and work out paying your debts? I don't, no. I think uh, bankruptcy for the vast majority of people will still have quite a few benefits. It's just going to be more expensive to get them, and you won't get quite as much benefit as before. I agree with that, and I'll, as an example, Craig, tell you that uh, out here in California, at least, the company is called Cash Call, if I can use a name. Um, their current interest rate is 39%, and that's legal, I understand, in California. So with most consumers paying 40% interest, it's very hard to pay back that kind of debt. Bankruptcy may be the only option. Does bankruptcy give any power to the court to reduce that 40% down to something that's a little more tolerable? Well, it depends on the type of debt in general. Uh, in most types of situations, I mean, you can either reduce not only the interest but also the debt or quite often eliminate the debt completely in bankruptcy. Uh, there are, Home mortgage debt is about the only type of debt where you really can't affect the interest rate. What's likely to be the impact of this uh, of all these filings on, on the court system? Uh, will a court uh, will, will bankruptcy cases be slowed down down as the court deals with all these new filing, filings? What I've been hearing is that the creditors' meetings, which is where the creditors have an opportunity to question the debtor, and the trustee also can question the debtor, which are required by rule to take place within 40 days of the petition, are being scheduled in some places as far out as February just because they don't have enough trustees or enough rooms to have them in. So there will certainly be a lot of delay for for many of the people who filed at the last minute. And in our district, they are double-tracking and triple-tracking them, putting them in two or three different rooms at the same time, which will be very interesting for my office, for example, when I have three appearances at the same time in different rooms in the same building at least. What what is what accounts for the greater cost that consumers are going to face now in bankruptcies? Is is it the additional paperwork that this requires, or are there additional hearings or or steps in the proceedings that are required? Well, there are several things. First of all, every 
individual who files will have to get a credit counseling briefing, which is going to cost about $50, before they file. They're going to have to take a credit education course after they file, which is probably another $50. Chapter 7 filing fee has gone up by 60 or $70, and the attorney's fees will go up, and it's, you know, it's hard to know for sure how much, anywhere from a few hundred dollars for very simple cases to possibly thousands of dollars for very complex cases just because there is, will be additional paperwork such as additional forms that must be filed. You have to get the debtor's tax returns. You may, in Chapter 13 cases, have to actually prepare tax returns for debtors. Uh, you will have to get the debtor's last 60 days of pay stubs and on and on. So basically, um, there is a great deal more paperwork uh, involved. I'm holding in my hand a new form one for each of Chapter 7 and 13. It's six new pages, almost single-spaced, of the math test to, to, for attorneys and debtors to, to use to see if they pass this new means test and to calculate a commitment period, which uh, allegedly is uh, supposed to track how much the debtor hypothetically should pay in a Chapter 13 case. Six pages each. Which it looks a lot like before. a 1040, only it's a lot longer. Right. And so I agree with Henry that the extra paperwork is going to drastically increase legal fees. And I see it quite possibly doubling even a simple case, doubling with the that, old fee. With that thought, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will wrap up our discussion and get some final thoughts from our guests. We'll be right back. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Welcome back to the Coast to Coast show on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And I'm Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for joining us. We're back with our guest, Henry J. Summer, Editor-in-Chief of Collier on Bankruptcy, and R. Gibson Pegter, Jr., a prominent bankruptcy lawyer in Southern California with the firm Pegter and Miller. Uh, we'd like to just try and get some final thoughts from you on, on the new bankruptcy law. And, uh, and I'm wondering, uh, 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 Mr. Summer, uh, whether you can talk at all about what, what you'd like to see in terms of uh, uh, what, what actually would reform the bankruptcy law. Do you have any ideas of what should be done to reform the bankruptcy law in a way that protects consumers? Well, there are a number of things that ought to be done, um, none of which are likely to happen too soon, but uh, 
One big problem in, in many states is that home values have gone up so much that people cannot file bankruptcy and protect their homes because many states don't allow people to protect very much equity in their homes. So that's a very big problem. Uh, a second uh, area that would be very uh, helpful for if we could get some change would be just allowing consumers uh, more remedies against mortgage companies, for example, uh, who regularly miscalculate how much they owe and just create enormous confusion and and for people who are trying to catch up on their mortgages. Um, I mean, the whole area of creditor abuses uh, in in bankruptcy and in consumer law generally uh, is one that is not being addressed very well. And as the enforcement uh, authorities are being cut back, uh, these abuses are just becoming more and more rampant. Well, Gib, with your uh, massive sets of filing over the last few weeks, what advice to the consumers that are listening to our show, what advice would you give consumers to deal with this new bankruptcy law? Uh, I, if they haven't filed yet, uh, I would suggest to them that they consult a debt relief agent. <laughs> I now have to wear a badge which says that I'm a debt relief agent. Uh, thanks to Congress, that's how I have to advertise myself. Um, they should consult someone as soon as possible to see how they can meet or beat the means test. Uh, There are ways to do that. Um, They might involve bunching income, just like people have done forever with tax returns, or holding income, or doing many things, including paying pension contributions. Uh, I hate to think that people might stop paying income taxes now for a couple of years to get themselves eligible because back personal income taxes are not part of the consumer debt calculation or the means test. So I advise consumer debtors to consult counsel sooner than later. Yeah, but to make sure that they consult an attorney. Yes, thank you. Uh, debt relief agencies also now include non-attorneys, and that's just going to lead to a lot of confusion. Well, Henry, is uh, to follow up on your talk from your seminar, what advice are you giving to attorneys? Well, our, our advice to attorneys is that uh, it's a one, one big piece of advice is that the creditor lobbyists who wrote this bill did not necessarily accomplish everything that they were trying to accomplish. And there are ways for consumers to still get a lot of benefit because of uh, the ways that the bill was drafted, that if the plain language of the bill is applied, it will often come out to a result that's, uh, that is beneficial to consumers. Well, I think that's all the time we have uh for this discussion today. Uh, we would like to thank our guests, Henry J. Summer, Editor-in-Chief of Collier and Bankruptcy, and R. Gibson Pegter, Jr., bankruptcy lawyer from Pegter and Miller. In, uh, are you in Los Angeles? Is that right? Santana, Orange County. Yes. Uh, uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. We really appreciate your participation. My pleasure. Thanks, Gib. Thanks, Henry. Hear ye, hear ye, now from the legal blogosphere, this week's legal nuggets, insights, and worthy trivia, you be the judge. Well, Bob, uh, it's now time to talk about the blogosphere. That's right. Craig, I saw your name all over the blogosphere this week. Uh, You did the blog review. And what a massive effort that was. i got to tell you, Bob, it took me seven hours to write it and two days, uh, all told, to 
edit it and put it back together and double check the links and correct my grammar and spelling. So uh, I would anybody I know there have been 28 people or 27 people that have done it before me, and I can't imagine the level of work that went into it. Monica says she took three days. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, I was thinking of uh, suggesting we do the first podcast version of, of the blog review one of these days. Not up for that, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you take the lead, Bob. Okay. So do a podcast review of uh, legal podcasts? Sure. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I thought uh, something I saw uh, today uh, making the news, of course, was uh, this questionnaire that was released today about Harriet Myers, uh, uh, President Bush's uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. The Senate Judiciary Committee this morning released a 57-page uh, questionnaire that she had completed, which also included, along with it, a survey she had done in 1989 for Texans United for Life, in which she gave some of her views on the abortion issue. Uh, I was uh, a lot of discussion about that today. I, I just posted on my blog this afternoon a couple of links to where you can find those documents. Both the Associated Press and uh, NPR.org have the text of those documents up on their sites. One of our senators, Calif- California's uh, Diane Feinstein, met with Harriet Myers and came out and said she's very soft-spoken. And <laughs> given Diane Feinstein, I'm really not quite sure how to take that. Well, we knew that, but we we do now now know a little bit more about her uh, views on on abortion. Uh, at least uh, she has said that she would support ratification of a constitutional amendment in Texas, or she she said this when she took the survey in 1989. Uh, and uh, she also talked a little bit more, I guess, in this questionnaire about her experience uh, in the Supreme Court. She has participated in in several appeals to the Supreme Court, filed some briefs in the Supreme Court, but has never actually argued before the court. Well, Bob, how do you take the temperature on this? I mean, I see uh, Harriet Meyer's reception is probably just lukewarm at best. Well, that's what it is so far, and I, I you know, we still have to wait and see. Uh, we still have to go through these documents we got today and see what that says. But uh, you're getting lukewarm receptions at, at both ends of the political spectrum. So how that plays out uh, remains to be seen. Well, you're an arbitrator. I mean, do you, I guess when uh, when everybody goes away unhappy from the result, it means it's a good result, right? Either that or, you, you know, what arbitrators refer to it as splitting the baby, but I'm not sure how you do that with a Supreme Court nominee. Well, it looks like we're going to find out. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up for today's Coast to Coast show. Thanks very much, Bob. I've enjoyed uh, this, this session on bankruptcy. Okay. Thanks a lot, Craig. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.